Welcome to Chaintech, the show and podcast focusing on the latest trends in supply chain, procurement, and logistic technology. My name is Max Henry from the Global Supply Chain Council, and together with my co-host and special guest, we explore the personalities, startups, innovators, and industry players driving disruption in supply chain. From early stage to unicorns, and from cutting-edge technology to the people using it to help drive more innovative, agile, and resilient supply chain around the world. This is Chantech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Chantech. My name is Max Henry. I'm the founder of the Global Supply Chain Council, and I'm glad that you're joining us again for this new episode. I want to thank you know, all of you for joining the show. As we know, as you know, we, on an ongoing basis, uh, try to interview some interesting founders and discuss the rapid rise of supply chain logistics and procurement technology around the world. As we jump into today's conversation, I also want to make sure that you are aware of our Chantech platform that we, uh, you know, we have and managing and trying to grow. Uh, you can also find the previous episode of the Chantech, uh, you know, show, uh, by just visiting Chantech.show. So today we am, I'm joined by, uh, Richie Barter, who is the founder of Vplan. Hi, Richie. How are you? Hi, Max. Great. Thank you. Thanks very much for inviting me today. Okay, so as we always do, I'd like to get started with you a little bit on your background. Maybe you can share uh, with us, uh, just let's start with the basic, uh, where you're from, you know, where are you based uh, and uh, running the company, and maybe also give us a little bit of uh, background information about, you know, what did you study uh, and what was your previous uh, jobs before starting Replan, yeah. Yeah, great. So um, I'm from Ireland originally. Um, Grew up in Cork, which is a, a great manufacturing heartland for many uh, large manufacturers around the world. Um, Cork Harbour is one of the, the largest natural uh, estuaries in the world, so there's a lot of shipping there. So I grew up looking at a lot of factories and shipping, which was always uh, kind of piqued my interest. Um, currently living in Lisbon in Portugal. Um, moved down here with my family a couple of years ago, and we, we I run the company from here. Um, Replan, my business is a... Uh, fully, you know, distributed online company. So we were able to do that from wherever we want. Um, in terms of my background, um, so I studied originally a double degree in uh, business and, and languages in the University College Dublin in, in Ireland. Uh, followed that up with a master's in finance and accounting at the London School of Economics. And then 10 years into my career, I, I went back to university and did a master's in software engineering at uh, the University of Oxford in the UK. Um, and that was sort of where I took a lot of the nascent coding skills I had from working on the trading floor of a bank and, and turn them into some real understanding of systems and systems theory. Um, in terms of my career progression personally, so I finished my master's in finance and accounting at LSE, ended up working in the city of London for, for close to 10 years, uh, had a various numbers of roles, predominantly in Standards & Poor's, the rating agency, where I was doing a lot of sort of technical analysis of complex debt products um, and then transitioned from there into HSBC, which is obviously a very well-known brand in Asia. Um, worked at HSBC in Canary Wharf on the uh, the, the financial market side. Um, loved that uh, time, learned so much there. 
around how data was used to make decisions and, and drive automation and, and um, you know, underpins a lot of what I brought into building this business. Um, and then about uh, 13, 14 years ago, I decided that I wanted to transition out of banking. Um, I, as I said, went back to the University of Oxford to study a software engineering degree and at the same time started this company, um, which we bootstrapped for the first five, six years until we uh, focused in on supply chain. Okay, so what 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 actually motivated you to start Replan? What was the uh, the trigger for you to, to to start this company? So I there were some personal reasons around. I looked at my trajectory career wise in HSBC and kind of felt that um, as part of an organization that I think at the time was two hundred and fifty thousand people that I, I wasn't really going to have a huge outsized impact on my own. Um, and so I wanted to yeah. you know, start something a bit smaller. I come from quite an entrepreneurial family. My father uh, just turned 79. He retired when he was 78, running his own business. Um, and I also have uncles and aunts and cousins who are all super entrepreneurial as well. So th- there was kind of a bug in me to do something a little different. Um, I didn't really know what I was going to do, but I was taking those learnings from the training floor where you know, billion dollar decisions are made on the data. Uh, and then oftentimes the, the algorithms are relied on to make the decisions without the human intervention. And I thought, well, there must be a an opportunity to bring that kind of capability to other organizations, to other businesses. Um, and so at the time it was, there was a seminal paper from McKinsey. It talked about big data. It was really early in this sort of data science AI wave that we've been on for the last 15 years. Uh, cloud computing was really only getting started as well. Um, and I thought all of these trends together, there was, there was an opportunity to build a product technology company that could really, uh, deliver outsized impact to organizations that use a lot of data. And over the years, we've refined that. We've been invested in the platform. We've raised a lot of money and, um, we came to the supply chain space probably four years ago, um, identified this problem in supply planning. And really were able to bring all of those combinations of skills, process automation, distributed computing systems, cloud, advanced algorithms, AI, together into this one product. And I'm, I'm super proud of what we've developed and, and really excited for where we're going in the future. So initially, Replan was mainly focusing on financial. Uh, your clients were mainly in the financial sector. Actually, it was the exact opposite. So the joke I had at the time was the last thing I wanted to do was leave a bank to go back selling software to banks. I think okay. that was a pretty well-trodden path, um, and I, I felt it was a little cliché. So we, weirdly, we started in the e-commerce sector. We had eBay as an early big customer. Um, we see. were doing a lot of uh, complex process automation for, for eBay around uh, different tasks they had. We expanded that then. We did ultimately do work in financial services for some insurance companies, um, we worked with some oil companies, the UK government for a while. Um, but ultimately we, we started working with a manufacturer in the UK called Hovis Breads. And, um, Hovis had a, a legacy, um, SAP environment at the time and, and they had some automation challenges around their production planning and scheduling. And it was our first glimpse into industrial manufacturing at scale, our first understanding of some of the challenges that manufacturers face. And it was really exciting to see, um, how far that industry could travel and how far it had yet to come at that time. And it was, you know, it was an easy bet for me to make to say, right, we're going all in on supply chain. Um, we're all, we're going all in on production planning and scheduling. Okay. That's interesting. So if you could just tell us in one sentence what Replan is doing and, you know, more specifically in, in the supply chain space. Yeah. 
Yeah, so just to introduce you to Replan. So we're a software vendor. We're based here in Europe, but we have global presence. We streamline and simplify complex supply chain planning that makes SNOP and SNOE processes more intelligent and responsive. It's a cloud-based SaaS. Um, if you're on our LinkedIn this week, you'll see that we're available on AWS Marketplace as of this week. And despite decades of focus on supply chain solution, we felt that the industry needed a fresh look at some of the older unsolved problems. Um, and that's really what we set out to do. Okay. So you're, you're basically trying to disrupt the existing crowded market of supply chain planning tools. So what are you doing different with the, you know, in comparison with the other existing players right now in the market? It's very true. It is a very crowded market and, and, but it is still an extremely fragmented market. And we, we can talk about the market structure if, if that's of interest. But I think when, when we were talking to manufacturers and customers, we understood that although a lot of work had been done on what we would call replenishment planning or master planning, which is breaking up demand and spreading it out over your network and where you're going to produce it. When you drop down to the facility level, that handoff between planning, scheduling and execution or operations on the actual factory floor was, was broken. Um, rough cut capacity plans were being handed down to schedulers that made little or no sense in the context of the real problems they're facing in terms of what lines could do what, what human resources they had, what raw material they had, and what demand they were trying to fulfill, the fluctuations in all of those elements as they get near to production. And there just was a lot of instability occurring. So what we came to do is say, well, how could we take the capabilities we have around product building and AI to capture all of those planning situations that a scheduler would typically capture in those last one, two weeks of a production planning horizon and scale that up out as far as the manufacturer needed. If it's a, if it's a pharmaceutical company, they may be planning five years out from a tactical perspective because of some of the bets they have to make. If it's a food and beverage company, more likely 12 months or maybe, maybe even six months. But because of the algorithmic complexity and the, the processing challenges you get as you go out in time, you need to have very sophisticated approaches to modeling those planning situations that give you a single plan, a plan that runs from a year out all the way to week zero when you're making things. It's not that that plan is inflexible, but that it's capturing those constraints and those operational realities way further out. And the things you get from that, better raw material consumption visibility, better labor visibility, better bottlenecks in service, better ability to engage your customers, better understanding at the post-production stage what needs to be downstream of that in terms of distribution planning and so forth. And if you can get that that plan, that one plan at the heart of your manufacturing at a facility level right, everything else starts to become much more resilient and effective across the supply chain. And every every single manufacturer we speak to has challenges here. And, and what we feel is that replan as a tool at the heart of the manufacturing problem um, makes all of these challenges a lot more effective. And that's something that companies like SAP or Blue Yonder or even Anaplan are not providing today? I think um, when you think about who we compete with in terms of I'll come back to what those other vendors are doing. Yeah. I think there's a lot of what we see is kind of Excel or do nothing where they've left these core systems and they're trying to manage some of this complexity away from those sort of advanced planning and scheduling technologies. I think we see the ERPs sometimes being used there as well. And we sort of struggle with organizations where they feel the ERP should stretch down into this very niche space. And I, I, I rarely see that working. Um, 
We see some custom solutions, either homemade in, you know, access databases or other, others, you know, relatively small solutions. And then there's kind of a, a competition, competition kind of thing was what we would call it with those bigger vendors. So they've spent decades predominantly focused on the very, very, very large global manufacturers, you know, the 20,000 plus as Gartner would call them, the, 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 where there are huge networks of manufacturing. And this master planning resource allocation problem across that global network has been where they seem to put a lot of their effort. And what they've done as a trade-off is not really focused on the individual facility planning and scheduling to the same degree. Mm. Um, many of those products you mentioned have strong scheduling capabilities. So particularly SAP, PPDS, which is bundled now with S4 HANA, but traditionally came with SAP APO, has a really strong scheduling capability. But a lot of the, the horizon challenges further out from that weren't as well, uh, you know, catered for in previous iterations. And so we, we, you know, we augment and extend some of the capabilities provided by some of those tools, um, or we replace some of the, the less effective methods applied by other manufacturers. Okay. So I understand you're targeting manufacturing uh, companies. Do you focus on specific sectors or industries within the manufacturing space? So, so there aren't particularly any limits from who we can address, but as a small organization, we're quite focused in, in our go-to-market motion. And so we kind of break the world down into um, discrete versus process. Um, most of our focus to date has been on process manufacturing, and we sum that up in four key industries, um, food and beverage, uh, consumer packaged goods, um, chemicals, and life sciences. And we see the same kind of uh, complexity in manufacturing Sensitivity to change over costs, downtime, um, high skew variation, high packaging variation, um, multi-level production, floating bottlenecks up and down the production chain. Um, you know, there's a, a common snack food uh, product that we all know. It's nine levels of production to model um, what's actually happening from raw material to finish good in a box. Um, and being able to reason over that at, at scale is, is a really valuable thing for a manufacturer to do. Um, so those are those are the segments from a, from an industry perspective. From a geographic perspective, um, we're uh, predominantly Western Europe and the US, but we are growing in Asia. Uh, we uh, have our first a, a major Asian customer this year, uh, based in Central Asia. Um, and as a partner you know, led sales motion, we have partners in the Asian region, which is uh, helping us to grow there. Um, and we're interested in the Asian market because I think globally the numbers I have say that planning market, the supply chain planning market is somewhere between nine and $12 billion in total value. And it's growing at around 10 to 15%, depending on what, what research you look at. Um, but Asia is really only 20, 25% of that total pot, but it's definitely growing faster. And so we, we see Asia as, as a focus for us in the, in the medium term. And we want to establish ourselves in the industry. We'll establish the brand in the Asian market. And I think that's something for us. So that, that covers the industry segments and the geographies. And then I think in terms of um, uh, sort of sub-segmenting within the manufacturing space, we kind of break the world up into what we would call mid-market or SMB manufacturers. And that's anything from sort of 50 million turnover to a billion. And they tend to be slightly less complex from a supply chain perspective, but potentially slightly less mature from a supply chain technology investment perspective. They've been a little bit underserved, if I'm honest, by the big players who've gone after those bigger vendors, those bigger manufacturers at the, the higher end. And then above a billion, we would class that as enterprise. Um, we have enterprise customers. We talk to a lot of enterprise customers. 
um, those tend to be where there are legacy software investments and we're, and we're augmenting those, um, those, those investments. I want to go back a little bit around when you started a company and uh, if you could share with us, uh, when you started, did you actually bootstrap the business? Did you, you know, raise capital right away? Where was your, you know, your starting path? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because it's still really in the DNA of the company. Um, I was determined to bootstrap for as long as I could while I was learning about what I could bring to the market. I think a lot of entrepreneurs that I've heard or read stories of where they had this, they identified this problem and they went after it from day one. I was a catastrophe in that respect because I, I didn't know exactly what we wanted to solve, but I knew we had the the capability to do a lot of, of hard, interesting problems. So I wanted to bootstrap for as long as possible. And I think we signed our first major contract with eBay. I think we'd been bootstrapping for somewhere like four or five years at that point. Um, you know, um, it kept us really lean, kept us really focused on value, kept us really customer centric. And we've managed to bake that into the company going forward. So um, although we've raised now significant uh, rounds of investment, most recently from Hoxton Ventures, one of the leading sort of late seed or pre-seed of Series A, VC companies in Europe, um, we still bring that frugal and focused nature on our cash flow spending and our scale-up approach. Um, and I think it's a, it's a, it's a good um, lesson maybe for other founders who are at an earlier stage than us where, um, you know, if you, you are going to have to learn, you're going to have to spend time getting to know the market you're in. You're going to have to understand what, what that product market fit looks like. And if you can, the, the, if you can do that in an extremely efficient process from a capital perspective, that gives you time and time is your friend. The, the more time you have, the more you learn, the more exactly. you put it on the right track. Yeah. So what is your current funding stage right now? So we, as I said, we've, we've raised significant capital. We're, we're sort of continually approached by the venture market, whether they're massive private equity funds or, or other VCs. Um, I think we're, we're evaluating when we'll next come back to the market, um, and, and decide when, when to take additional capital. Um, we're lucky in that we're very well backed from our existing VCs and investors. And, um, I think as well that the disruption in the VC space in the last 12, 18 months has meant that, you know, it's not been a good time to be out fundraising. Um, luckily, we, we were well funded to do that. And, and additionally, I mean, we're, we're growing our customer base all the time. So the pressure from a funding perspective is a little lower that way. Um, so I think we'll probably come to the market in 24 um, and, and raise our next tranche of funding. Um, but uh, it hasn't been agreed with the board yet when we'll do that and, and, and what shape that will take. Okay. You mentioned that you are, so you're running a, a fully remote team, um, you know, uh, internationally. Can you share a little bit um, uh, about your team? How many employees do you have and, and where do you develop your solution with your engineers here? Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm Irish originally. I've I'm, I'm, uh, been very focused on Ireland over the years. Um, and we put our R&D team in, in Cork, where I'm from. Um, okay. We have an office downtown in, in Cork City, um, and that's where our engineers come together every couple of weeks for a sprint review and planning for the next uh, engineering sprint. Again, uh, not to bang the drum for Cork too much, but it's been a heartland for, for software and enterprise software for a long time. Apple have a major headquarters there, EMC, um, you know, yeah. a whole host of other large uh, enterprise vendors. And so it's quite an attractive place to source really experienced, really knowledgeable 
uh, software engineering talent. Beyond that, the local university there is, is um, special has a specialism in uh, constraint programming and optimization problems. And so you actually have a, a talent pool that really understands the, the branches of AI that we work in extremely deeply. So we've centered our R&D around there, and, and it's all homegrown development. We don't outsource anything. We don't have any offshore partners for production. What we've done is, is build a really, really strong, deep team, small and focused, but strong in, in terms of a capability and that allows us to, to, uh, to, to kind of keep very close to our own roadmap. Outside of that, we, we run our go-to-market organization, as I said, remotely as well. Um, but our head of go-to-market, Kevin O'Flynn, is based in Dublin. Um, but he has team members in Atlanta, um, in uh, London. I support him as well here in Lisbon with the, with the Central European uh, efforts. Um, the other point to, to, to make on the go-to-market side is this year, 2023, really for us has been about growing our partner ecosystem. Um, if you go to the partner page on the Replan site, you'll see a whole host of logos there. And we've focused on um, smaller consultancies and system integrators who have a deep specialism in supply chain planning. I think we've grown that ecosystem from a handful at the start of the year to something like 30, 35 now. And uh, later this month, we'll have um, sort of an end of year partner ecosystem day because um, they're a really interesting source of, of kind of um, growth for us and, and access to the market. Um, so one just thing culturally on that, which I think is really interesting, is um, I do sort of an all hands for the entire company every two weeks at the end of every engineering sprint, um, which I think is a great way to keep everyone up to date. And that's a super transparent conversation where they can engage me and ask any questions they want. Um, outside of that, um, we bring the whole company together in January for a kickoff and then in July for a face-to-face. Um, and those are chances for the organization to spend time together as well. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty well-worn path. And, and as a founder, I, I, I don't bang the drum about us all having to be in the office together 24 uh, seven. And I think that uh, flexibility is, is, is well-received by our team. Is that an issue for you to, so you're physically based in Portugal and, but you, most of your technical engineering is based in Ireland. Is being away from them a, a challenge or, uh, you know, somehow a benefit? Um, at times you certainly want to be standing around a whiteboard together. And I do spend more yeah. of my life playing than my wife and kids would probably appreciate. Um, <laughs> I, I think I've traveled, uh, every, once a week for the last four or five weeks. Um, so yeah, but that's more about customer time and being in front of our customers and being with them in the room. I think from an R&D perspective, I'm really lucky that I, I have a, a team of super experienced product leaders and we have a very, very robust product process whereby, um, nothing gets built unless we it kind of, we, we score it. It's not, it's not the CEO decides kind of idea. It's, um, you know, we, we talk to customers, prospective customers, partners, and we score, uh, you know, all the product ideas that come in. And the bigger problem I have is that I could, you know, I could have a team of 50 more engineers and I'd still be, you know, building stuff because there's such amazing opportunity across the supply chain use cases to take what we've done in the supply planning and, and scheduling and really sort of extend it into a whole series of adjacent use cases, which which I think is, is part of the excitement for Replan going forward. You mentioned your network of partners, which is interesting. You know, so you are uh, obviously working with 
small, medium-sized consulting firm and, and, and SIs. Do you also get them involved in the development of the solution and the customization or of those partners that just use for go-to-market uh, approaches? So, so let me pick up first on the customization point. So we're, we're a, a fully cloud vendor. Um, you can go on AWS and buy a version of Replan with your AWS account right now um, and have, have it. We maintain uh, a single instance of that. So every customer gets the same version of Replan and we don't customize okay. it per, per supply chain. Uh, that's really important because, um, you know, there are massive benefits that accrue to manufacturers by not highly customizing um, and, and kind of um, making it such that when the next generation of our software comes out, then there's a big negotiation with them about how you're going to move their legacy version onto the latest version. And, and I think we've moved beyond that or we need to move beyond that within the supply chain world because it holds back the ability for the technology to keep pace with the supply chains. That puts a challenge on us in terms of building that flexibility into our solution that we can handle all of those variations. And I think that's one of the, the value points that we have. That we rarely say to a customer, you can't do that because it doesn't handle that. Your pro- we don't want to apply the process to the supply chain. We want to take their process and apply it to the software, but not have a highly custom version for each customer. So, so that's just on the customization and cloud point. But I think with the partner support, 100%, because every supply chain is different slightly in its own way. You talk to two Pepsi bottlers in different parts of the world, it's the same, uh, you know, syrup room, uh, storage room, bottling problem and out the door. Um, yeah. It's done slightly differently in two different bottlers. And so you need to have the consultant partner who understands the lay of the land, understands the people and understands the process. Do they run weekly SNOE? Do they run who's in that weekly SNOE meeting? Who's in that monthly SNOP process? What are they trying to solve? How can the technology support the process? or help enhance the process, or help automate the process, give time back to the planners, rather than just, well, this is how you do it in Replan, and if you want to use Replan, you have to change your process to this. So that, that, I don't ascribe to that approach. Okay. So the partners are crucial. And I think, you know, the old adage from consulting is that the, the consulting process around the implementation of the software is, is as important. And, and I'm really proud to say that like we've never had a failed implementation um, and we don't have a big consulting arm inside and replan. We deliberately keep it tight. We don't sell services. We sell licenses and then we rely on our partners, whether it's implementation, integration, people and process to support that. Okay. Let's talk about AI. So uh, it's been very, very busy, uh, very hot uh, space in the last 12 months. Uh, how do you, how do you foresee, uh, you know, the current AI models to be used in, in your, in your supply chain planning tools? What is going to change in the next, you know, couple of years? And what do you think the solution will be, uh, in two or three years from now with, with all that AI embedded in? So it's a brilliant question. It's a brilliant question. I'm really glad you asked that. I wasn't sure <clears throat> if it was going to come up today. So, uh, it excites me and it worries me in equal in equal measure. Um, and don't take the worry in the context. I mean, there's a massive conference globally happening in in the UK this week with Bletchley Park talking about AI safety. That's not it's not that branch of AI worry. I don't worry about the robots taking over our supply chains and making too many you know um, uh, you know products for us. But um, let, let me talk about the positives first. So I think 
you can see the market reacting to the capabilities that this can bring. And I'm talking supply planning only now. I'm not talking about robots in warehouses. I'm not talking about yeah. logistics. I'm talking about automated truck. I'm talking about supply planning and scheduling. Um, so I think um, there's a European demand planning company, Garvis, uh, Jarvis, that was snapped up there by Logility recently. Um, you know, Jarvis was was at the forefront of applying sort of Gen AI capabilities into demand planning. I think that's a really interesting move um, there, and it'll be interesting to see how Logility rolls that out from a vendor perspective. I think just this week, Microsoft have come out with their Copilot-enabled supply chain tools. Um, and again, they have a vision around how, um, you know, the open AI capabilities that underpins the Microsoft stack will, will play through in, in supply chain. So I think these are the first forays of how this is going to work. Um, for me, I think we've lost a little bit in the narrative, the, uh, the distinction. I'm going to get a little technical here. So apologies and tell me to stop if I'm going too deep, but the distinction between structured data and unstructured data. And so structured data is the ability to reason over data sets where you understand the context or the context provided in the scheme or in the, in the, in the domain model. Um, <clears throat> you know, that lends itself very well to machine learning and, and techniques, you know, clustering techniques and a whole range of other reinforcement learning and so forth, where you can take that data and do things incrementally with it. And if you look at what the last 15 years has been about, it's been about efforts to uh, produce, market, sell those capabilities into manufacturers uh, in supply chain. Alongside that, you have the unstructured data sets. So those are fragments of text, fragments of voice, images, and so forth. Those data sets have always been the sort of nirvana for AI companies like us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we did a lot of work on voice at one, at one, one point in our lives where we were transcribing voice calls and doing really interesting stuff in that space. And I think the Gen AI breakthrough really unlocks the potential value in that unstructured data. Great. So now you apply that to manufacturing and to planning. What are the unstructured data sets that are captured and are can be used to train Gen AI? And I'm, and I'm thinking that within the context of the organization, because you have another case where you pool unstructured data from across supply chains to give you broader context, but I don't think we're coordinated enough as an, or as, as an industry to be there yet. And I don't think any, really any organization, maybe insurance has that kind of pooled data capability to do that. So there's a long way to go before we're able to say, well, here are all the, chip manufacturers and here's all the unstructured data from all the chip manufacturers that they've all generously offered up. So, so let's park that and say within the manufacturer, what are the unstructured data sets that we could bring to bear that would support the activities within supply planning and scheduling? Those being demand planning, supply planning, um, uh, de- uh, de- order kind of fulfillment and, and all the other elements of, of the planning uh, set. So, Demand planning is an obvious one because there are notes that you ascribe to a forecast to say the reason I've made this forecast is these things I observed in the statistics and the customer conversations. Mm-hmm. So that's where you're seeing that first push go in terms of the Gen AI to say, okay, well, we can now mine these things and come up with, you know, questions you can ask and interface with that, with that unstructured data at scale. I think where it comes into planning and scheduling is fascinating because a similar problem, problem, particularly as the scenario planning improves, where you can say, okay, um, we we had n number of plans that we could have chosen for this production cycle for this set of lines in this one factory. We chose this plan. This is why we chose it. This is week the week forty to week fifty two plan. What happens in week forty one? Well, we chose this plan because of these things that had changed. 
And so what you boil it down to is actually at the heart of your software is an unstructured data store that's hoovering up as much of this unstructured data in a sensible way and making a, a historical repository that is tied to both the structured data of the plan and the unstructured data of the context of why the planner made that decision. And as these tools become more important, it's, is that voice, is that a video recording, is that text, what does it look like? So that's the potential, right? And so the potential then being uh, a gen AI model that then reasons over that unstructured data, the plan, a headless planning model that automatically takes the latest data, runs a plan, and then yeah. takes all of the historical unstructured data and says, well, this is the best plan because of all of the stuff we knew from before. And then the planner changes from a run the plan, make the decision to interrogate the Gen AI UI and say, which plan should I be running? And then how fast does that feedback loop speed up? And when does it become a bit like what I would have seen on the trading floor in HSBC, fully automated trading systems with guardrails around it? Yeah. I think we're so far to travel before we're there. I think that's the vision, right? So that's that's the marketing pitch that's going to evolve. Um, I, I, sorry, I'm also I'm playing down, and I should also recognize that the customer service side of all of this is also crucial. Every interaction you have with a customer, the procurement of the raw materials, the PO, there's a lot of friction there and process automation, which GenAI will support. But I'm sort of boiling it down to our world of planning and scheduling. So I don't want to dismiss those other use cases, but that, but from from my passionate perch in terms of planning and scheduling, that, that's where I really feel it's valuable. So the worry, let's talk about why I'm more nervous. I think when I speak to, you know, we've spoken to over 500 manufacturers in the last 18 months in terms of our conversations with the market. Uh, I think if I look at the tech stack, the software stack they're running, the process maturity, the um, challenges that those manufacturers are facing, the gap that we have to travel between the marketing vision of what Gen AI could do and where most manufacturers and supply chains are just fighting to keep the lights on day to day is such a lift that the boards of these manufacturers can say, well, we need to do some AI now but they have so much of their existing day-to-day process and improvements to, to, to fight. And so I'm wary that the vendors will now roll out all the JNAI fancy toys. Those will become the reasons to be buying some of these tools, but we'll miss the opportunity to fix some of the basic stuff that still needs to be done. Yeah. We still need to move off on-prem. We still need to digitize the factory. We still need to connect the data from the production lines into the planning environment. We need to close the silo between the planning world and the operational world. Yeah. Um, we're doing that with partnerships like with companies like LineView, fantastic UK um, software uh, business has been around a long time. They take the event stream of data off the production lines and produce really rich runtimes, changeover data that can then be plumbed into the planning environment to give you the real plan, not based on what you think the runtime was or the batch size should have been. Yeah, I think until those legacy challenges are overcome, to a greater degree, I think we can aspire to the Gen AI world, the unstructured data consumption world. But I think you're going to see a handful of bigger manufacturers who can afford to do pilots and start to explore on the edges of those things. I think for the vast majority of manufacturers that they should understand it, they should you know start to build those unstructured data silos. They should work with companies like Replan that provide that natively in under the hood. But getting value from that data store is going to come later. Yeah. So, yeah. So we have to be careful in not getting Gen AI or any of those technologies just as a, as a makeup 
uh, on their you know current systems, right? Because uh, like you say, they, they still. I mean, a lot of those companies are still trying to figure out basic stuff, and and they have some 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 core issue that they haven't they haven't solved yet, uh, despite years and years of integration and implementation of different and different solutions. Yeah, and, and you still see point. this emerging. I mean, I was at a, a major conference this week in the UK, um, and one of the vendors was called out on stage by one of its customers for uh, the challenges they faced in rolling out the software over the timeline yeah. mm-hmm. suggested. And and you you know you see these massive global transformation programs that are trying to be run. Um, and they're just really hard. They're hard because, you know, all the complexity in, in the supply chain, the need to keep business as usual going and to, and to upgrade processes, people and tech. And, and I think again, it goes back to our facility level approach at replant. You can do line by line, plant by plant and scale incrementally rather than having to turn the whole system over to a new piece of tech on a, on a, on a given day. Yeah. Okay, fascinating topic. Uh, we are running out of time. I just want to jump very quickly into a few things I wanted to ask you. So first, you know, what is your biggest challenge as a as a founder and uh, you know running the operation right now? And I'm you know referring specifically how do you run a, a company today virtually, remotely? What would be your biggest challenge? Yeah, yeah I think my my biggest challenge um, running the company is. The frustration that I personally feel that around all of the things that I'd like to be able to do with the business and how fast I can move to get there. Um, and I have huge, as you maybe can tell from this conversation, I have huge passion for what we can do for manufacturers. And I think part of my job as CEO is to continue to build that trust with the manufacturers that we want to work with because it is a trust. It's a, it's, you know, sometimes the, the, the idea of cloud software you know, the, the, you don't want the manufacturer feeling like that you don't have a duty of care as a vendor or you have a huge sense of responsibility and ownership around when, when they choose you as a partner to help them succeed in supply chain. And so, um, you know, at the end of the day, any planning system is, is, is a trust piece where the operations team of the manufacturer are handing the keys to the business to you to make the plan. And if the plan is rubbish, um, you know, and the software isn't able to generate what's needed, then there's going to be a bad plan and a bad plan means a bad supply chain and, and potentially really impacts the manufacturer. So, so my biggest challenge is building trust and continuing to build that trust. And by building that trust allows us to move faster and get more of the things that I want to have out in the market there. How do you see, or where do you see your solution in, in three to five years? Briefly. My my loquacious Irish uh, habit for talking long, I'll have to I'll have to trim a little bit. So um look it I think it's it's pretty straightforward, three to five years. Uh, as I said earlier, I can see clear opportunities for adjacent use cases where replant can deliver a hell of a lot of value, building upon the uh, innovation and, and the enhancements we've already done at a facility production planning and scheduling level. I think there's a there's a decision we have to make um, as to whether we go up in terms of um, the, the 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 operation of a manufacturer into financialization, IBP, and more of a kind of a network level, or whether we push down into the factory floor and think more about execution, um, uh, post production. I think there's huge opportunity in both areas, but I I think you know we shouldn't fight a war on two fronts. We we should pick one and be be really really strong there. Um, and so I think for me, 
the hardest decision to navigate will be to taper our ambition and make sure that we're 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 still building a brand that people believe in rather than something that's too broad says it does everything and then falls over when it's actually being implemented what would be the advice to a founder specifically in the supply chain tech space uh uh if if someone is starting a company uh, what would be your your advice to them today i don't think i have anything unique i think it's a brilliant space to operate in i think um you know the there are an enormous number of extremely experienced individuals out there across organizations. And I think try and spend as much as your time with at, or operators at every level, the people on the factory floor. I was at, I was in the UK uh, two weeks ago with a major bottling customer of ours. We walked the plant. We had a wonderful um, manufacturing uh, leader uh, from the factory floor taking us around. Just a wealth of knowledge and understanding that we can then reflect in the planning that that company does is is, is in immense. So get out in front of as many as, as uh, of the leaders and the operators within the customer base you're trying to talk to. And I know that sounds, it's like 101 for a startup, but it's sometimes easy to hide behind your, uh, you know, your, your, your coding environment, yeah. so your IDE. Um, and, and feel like you're making progress because you're writing code, but actually you need to stop writing and get out in front of the customers, understand really clearly what problem they have, how you can solve it differently, and then what other competitors are out there because it's a busy, it's a busy marketplace. It's a busy space. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, I want to wrap up with just quick, some quick questions for you. Um, cats or dogs? Uh, dogs. Window or aisle? Uh, oh, uh, depends. Uh, I'm, uh, window generally, but I'll on long haul because I've got long legs. What has been, um, a good movie you watched recently that you can recommend? Oh gosh, a, a movie I've watched recently. Uh, I've been watching a series on Apple called Silo, which is kind of fun, uh, about okay. running a supply chain in the underground. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, yeah, it's kind of fun. Hmm, interesting. It's called Silo. Okay. Silo. It's not about a supply chain, but you can think about it in supply chain terms. Okay. It's right. 10,000 people living in a grain silo, basically. It's, it's ah, really good. Okay. All right. What's your favorite lunch? I mean, uh, being, in, being in Lisbon, maybe you have something that you like. Yeah. Weirdly, sushi, actually, when I treat myself. Okay. Uh, yeah. Really good fish here, but yeah, sushi is, is my favorite. What's your most used app on your phone? Uh, my podcast app. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Using what? Uh, uh, Spotify or any? No, no. Uh, Pocket Casts. It's a small um, indie okay. uh, manufacturing uh, podcast uh, provider. Okay. What's your favorite tool uh, to build your company and manage your team? It's a toss-up between uh, Google Docs and Slack for organization and coordination. The collaboration in Google Docs compared to you know other okay. other is fantastic, or or um, or Slack. Or Slack for communication. Okay. What would be the rest of your life in uh, you know imagine twenty years from now when you are old and uh, exhausted of running a business? Uh, where do you see? Um, yourself are doing and where yeah well i think i mean lisbon is home now i think i can see myself uh with a tiny little fishing boat uh you know bobbing up and down on the river here uh with a with a you know a, one of those beaten up uh, ice boxes full of sardines 
okay, a little, yeah. a little, uh, you know, uh, portable radio listening to some terrible, uh, terrible music, uh, probably. <laughs> uh, something along those lines. Although my dad only just retired at 78, so maybe I'll still be doing this in 20 years. Who knows? <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much again, Richie, for your time. Appreciate. It was an interesting uh, talk. I mean, we, of course, we can talk a lot more. And I had uh, much more, you know, to cover, but uh, for, you know, the sake of time, we're going to just close it now. I want to thank you again for your time. Uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, that was uh, Chantech, and uh, we look forward again to see you next time. Thank you. Thanks, Max. 